Hello and welcome back to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults Podcast. We're so glad you're listening, and we hope you continue to do so. This episode is part five of our Unplugged series, and features our first guest speaker, Brother Christopher Henderson, who is, as he says, no stranger to young adults. Please enjoy. time here. This is the first time, though, that uh, Kevin has been my boss, so I'm looking forward to this experience, even in his absence. Uh, I, I expect that he will deliver excellence in uh, Connecticut with uh, 11 kids. Y'all pray for him. Uh, 11, 18 to 22-year-olds traveling over to Connecticut to represent the school, uh, so I'm excited about him being the boss for a change. So if I mess up, it's his fault. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I do love them very much. They've grown. They're just one of those couples that they just kind of grow on you, you know? So it's just you don't necessarily uh, expect for Kevin to be as cunning and cool as he is. And you certainly don't expect the prankster from Katie just by looking at them. But when you get to know them and get to hang out with them, uh, you realize that he is sharp as a tack. And she is equally as sharp, but also a little bit cray-cray. That's okay, because it's the little bit cray-cray that I relate to, uh, because I'm maybe a little more cray-cray. Uh, so, Zach, I leaned over to my wife and said, I'm glad he said what he said. So thank you for saying that, because uh, what I have to say, I know y'all are standing, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. My wife went, uh, it's good to have my wife back there, and Wyatt, Declan, Theodore, love those guys. Uh, but I'm glad that you uh, said that, because I think that too often we, we find ourselves in a place where it is like, uh, you know, Sunday school for second graders. And if we're not seeking to be amazed, we're not going to be amazed. So what am I trying to what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that I understand some of us might be beyond what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, but I really the, the way you phrased it is is perfect. I think that there can be healing that we can learn from, and I think that uh, that it, the healing can come from what we're learning and, and replacing our trust in God, and then we can in turn guide somebody else away from the pitfalls that we hit, right? If there's a pothole out on the road, I know that's hypothetical here in Indianapolis in January or February now, but if there is a pothole out in the road and it's going to swallow a car, I want you to tell somebody, okay? And so that's what I want for us uh, tonight. Let's say a quick word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this day, for the opportunity to be a part of this class. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight through your word. I pray that you would uh, help us, God, to maybe help somebody else. We thank you for it. We praise you for it, Jesus. 
We'll be quick to give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. You may be seated. We are on part five of the Unplugged series here in Young Adults, Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults. Uh, a college prep series is what Brother Brzezinski told me. Uh, however, it's also a, a fundamental unplug from the philosophy and systems of this world. So I, I feel a little bit like a college freshman tonight, mildly undecided, a little bit confused, and even more nervous. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I feel tonight about walking into this scenario and, uh, and talking about uh, what I think we need to talk about tonight. So James 1, verse 5 through 8. And then we'll go down to 12 through 15, and then 22 through 27. James, five, or James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he, was, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Verse number 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, is, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. So to start out tonight, I'd like for us to think back a few weeks. Brother Brzezinski talked about a particular phrase that I want to lift out and insert right here, the feedback loop. 
the feedback loop. As a reminder, audibly what happens in the feedback loop is that a microphone is picking up sound produced by a speaker that is projecting the sound from the microphone, and you get this feedback. We're all familiar with the squeal of a feedback. It's annoyingly loud, but the cultural feedback loop is concerned because it is a concern for me because it's impossible to know who is mirroring who. So where is the sound coming from? Is it coming from the microphone or is it coming from the speaker? The answer is yes. So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, in this feedback loop that's happening in Christianity, is the culture mirroring Christianity or is Christianity mirroring the culture? That's the question that we have to ask. I don't think that anyone would argue that the culture is mirroring Christianity, which leaves us with one option, that Christianity is now mirroring the culture. If this is the case, then we're breaking 1 John 2, 16 and 17, when God commands us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what are we, let's take this at face value. What are we talking about? Love, not the world. Does that mean we can't look at the trees in springtime and the flowers in springtime and appreciate the cycle of life that's coming? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the systems of the world, the mindsets of the world. Love, not the systems and the mindsets of the world. For all that is in the world, now we're going to find out what is that system. What is that mindset? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The only way to eliminate this feedback loop, to stop this annoyingly loud sound, is to remove the microphone, to remove the speaker, or to remove the power to either one of those sources. The snowflake is what we called it. It was my first pickup truck. A 94 Ford F-150 white single cab short bed with an inline six. Those manual windows would roll up like nothing you have ever seen in your entire life. If you wanted to roll this one down, you laid over across the vinyl bench seat and went... If you wanted to roll it back up, guess what? It was really bad in Houston because in Houston it could be sunny one minute and a torrential downpour the next minute. So only the driver's side mirror got rolled down, but it didn't matter because every single Saturday it could rain, sun, shine. It didn't matter. Every single Saturday the snowflake was getting a hand wash detailed job, open the doors, clean the windows, Vinyl was going to be shining because on Sunday night, I might be taking out my girlfriend. And that was important. The Snowflake got an aftermarket CD player. It was, it didn't have a six-disc changer. But I went down to the local pawn shop, and I put my $80 that I worked for, down my own $80 down on the counter, and I said, I want that one right there. And it was, I don't even remember what kind it was. It was that cool. And it had, but it was cool then, right? The snowflake was cool then. 
And so it had it had the uh, removable face because I lived in the hood and I didn't want people stealing my uh, CD player. And it was useless without the hood, but or without the the uh, faceplate. I mean, in the hood, they knew to just look inside the glove compartment, though, where it was actually at. So I don't know. It, I I tried. Inside of that CD player that I wired up pre-YouTube days on my own. Come on, that's impressive. Pre-YouTube days, guys, we are talking about it. The CD that resided in that snowflake was one of my favorite artists, John. Any given Thursday was the CD of choice. And 3x5 would boom at the maximum possible decibel level those stock speakers could push. So what does this truck and the systems of the world and 3x5 have to do with the feedback loop? It has everything to do with the feedback loop. Because John possessed a certain sound. John possessed a certain uh, look, John embodied a certain persona, and the way he dressed is the way I wanted to dress, and the way he performed was the way I wanted to perform, and the moves that he made on stage on the live concert DVD of any given Thursday is how I wanted to do it. I'm, can I just be completely transparent? Yes, I see some nods. Good, because I don't know any other way to be. Underneath my choir robe... At the Pentecostals of Pasadena, the honky-tonk stomp was happening because that's what John did. Underneath my choir robe, I mean, and it was, it was for the Lord in my heart, right? But the feedback loop was influencing me, and it influenced my worship. It influenced the way I sang. It influenced the way I thought. Fifteen years removed, what was cool then is not cool now. The, the snowflake is probably in a heap someplace. I don't even know where that CD is at. Does anyone even use CDs anymore? And so what was cool then is not cool now. And it's, it's the exact same way in this feedback loop. What is cool now in culture, what we think is cool in culture is not actually cool cool. It's what culture is telling us is cool. And I want to propose tonight that what is actually cool for Christianity is found in the Bible. What is cool in Christianity is dictated by the protected, inspired word of God. What is cool in Christianity, in our worship, in our praise, in our day-to-day -day living, in the way we present ourselves, is absolutely 100% dictated by Scripture. Now, when we walk onto a college campus, when we walk onto the job, mildly, mildly undecided, how do I say that? Mildly undecided, a little bit confused, and even more nervous, if we're not prayerfully and consciously searching out influence, influence is going to find us. If we're not asking someone to influence us, someone is going to influence us. Something will be the loudest voice in your life. Something is going to be number one. In fact, we've already talked about it a little bit. Influences change as we grow.
my six-year-old son back there, five-year-old son back there, thinks that I am the epitome of cool. He and I are the only two people in the world that share that sentiment. <laughs> I am not the epitome of cool, but in his eyes, my influence is absolutely awesome. Double his age, he's 12, it might be a little less influence. 18, probably a lot less influence. 24, I, if, if I've done my job, hopefully I'm gaining influence at that point. If, if Wyatt is concerned with my influence at 18 as he is right now at 6, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous for him. If he's still coming to me at, at 12 and 15 years old and saying, Dad, could I play cool math on your phone? Like, I've got issues. Okay, we all have issues. And I say all that to say influences change in our lives. I, ha I have a problem with you watching VeggieTales still. Okay? You should be a little more mature than that and a little more grown up than that. I'm not saying for nostalgic's sake. Right? That's not what I'm saying. Seasons change. One of these, y'all are all nervous. I'm stepping on toes. <laughs> so let's talk about seasons for a minute. Seasons change, influences change. Quentin, you're a new dad. Things change, right? A little bit less sleep. That's, I asked him, I said, are you getting any sleep? Well, a little less. You get a little bit less sleep. So what can we expect when we step onto the college campus? How can, before we ever get there, how can we protect ourselves from the feedback loop happening? That's what I want to talk a little bit about tonight. The, the first thing we need to know is we should expect a fight. We should expect a fight. If you don't expect a fight before you walk onto a college campus, chances are you're going to get beat up by the battle. You're going to be left dazed and confused. What was it, Mike Tyson that said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? You're going to get intellectually punched in the face. You're going to get philosophically punched in the face. You have to expect that that punch is coming. Now, what Mike Tyson doesn't have is Jesus. So when you get punched in the face, if you have Jesus, your plan can still be intact. Hannah, this is no reflection on you, but I was, I was shocked. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a CTYA podcast listener. I was shocked when you said, I did not expect to live in co-ed dorms. I was blown away, and I was like, how do we not know these things? How, as, and again, no reflection on you or your parents. I think there's a lot of great, well-meaning, apostolic parents out there that just don't know. But guys, we can't afford not to know what we're going into. If professional athletes and coaches spend hours each day, each week watching game film and creating a scheme to defeat an opponent during an inconsequential competition on Sunday. 
how much more should we be aware of where we are going? How much more should we be aware of what we are facing? How much more should we be aware of what's going on for our eternal souls? This is a fight, and we cannot afford to be ignorant of the devices that Satan is using. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says, For we walk in the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It goes on to talk about imaginations and high things that exalteth itself against God and brings and tells us to bring every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. There is absolutely a fight going on, not just for your soul, but for the, for the potential that your soul possesses. I don't know why we can't all be teaching home Bible studies. I don't know why we can't all be a witness to, for, for Christ, an ambassador for Christ. I don't know why we can't be doing these things. That potential is huge. How foolish would it be for Billy and Tommy to not have a forethought going into the Super Bowl? How crazy would it be for them to take the field and say, well, let's see what can happen today, boys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread cautiously heavy here. Okay? And what I'm saying is it's going to potentially seem a little bit in conflict with what we all quote and understand, but I want to press back against it a little bit, and I don't think that it does the, uh, the author of of, of the statement, any injustice. I think that he lines up with me. But if we haphazardly walk around this life and are not planning anything, you're going to fail. The unwise man. So if, if, we're, if we're walking around and only relying on, uh, on what we know in that moment, Guys, we've got the Bible. If we're walking around and only relying on what we know in that moment and how we feel in that moment, and we're not consulting Scripture, we're going to fail. So I think that we need to plan for the unexpected. I think that we need to plan for the expected. Y'all, y'all are, we've got babies coming. We know they're on their way. Why are we waiting until eight months in to paint the nursery? Okay? This, this, is, this is not in my notes, and I'm going to borrow a line from Kilman, H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Quote me. We have been for 18 months, or better, told, revival is coming. Why are we not getting the sanctuary ready? Why are we not? Now, I'm not talking about the physical sanctuary. You understand what I'm saying. Why are we? Okay. There's, there's, we've got it. We've, it's called nesting. We've got to start doing some spiritual nesting in our hearts and in our lives. We've got to understand what is coming and prepare for what is coming. Otherwise, there are going to be babies born, and we're not going to know what to do with them, and they're going to spiritually die. 
We don't wrestle flesh and blood. We wrestle spirit. We don't wrestle principalities. Or we, we wrestle principalities. We don't, we don't wrestle physical things. Okay? So every spiritual battle is won or lost in the mind and in your soul. Every spiritual battle is won or lost in your mind or in your soul. That's why Paul kept, tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. It all starts in your mind. Ten years from now, we will be a direct result of everything that we think in our minds. Because we're sowing actions and habits and characters and destinies. So tonight, I want to offer us two things about the college campus that we can uh, expect. What can we expect? We can expect a fight. But we can also expect freedom. Freedom. For sake of this lesson, let's limit freedom to, uh, or, or uh, college student, freshman, let's shrink it way down. Let's talk about the target audience that we have here. A Christian apostolic young person going to campus for the first time. Some college freshmen may have never experienced a curfew-less night in their lives. They don't know what that is because mom and dad always, I was, I was one of those guys. I'd always had a curfew. 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock. Okay, that was just the way we were raised. But if you lift that out, and it, it was a good thing for me. It, it, it saved me from so much. So many stupid things that could have been done after 11 or midnight. And my parents and all their wisdom said, yeah, Chris, just be home. And so there's, you, you take someone out of an ultra-supervised atmosphere and place them into an ultra not supervised atmosphere, and they're going to test limits. That's just the what it is. That's the way it is. And here's what we don't really tell people, especially in Christianity, from my view: freedom is fun. Freedom is fun. Hebrews. 11.25 leads me to believe that sin is pleasurable. My dad would absolutely agree. As a grown man with kids of my own, my dad and I walked out of a sporting goods store. We passed some early 20-somethings uh, smoking a little something, and they were having a good time. And because of a moment of freedom, the smell of weed was not unfamiliar to my dad. Grew up a preacher's kid, but found freedom and found out that freedom was fun. It was, it was a cinematic moment when he was like, man, it looks like they're having fun. I said, yeah, dad, you, you know, 
What was that like? I never knew. I was asking a genuine question as a grown man with kids of my own. I said, Dad, what was that like? Man, son, he got that way off distant look in his eye. Looked out into the horizon and said, man, son, it was so much fun. I'll never forget speed. I was like, what? You could stay up for days. Your mom liked it because the house was clean always because I would just be sitting there at 3 a.m. with nothing to do and I could work really hard and work long hours. And, and, and he said, but man, the crash. And I said, Dad, let me ask you something. Was the crash ever worth it? Startled back to reality from his cinematic moment by a question that I posed, he said, no, no, son, the crash was never worth it. So what we fail at doing is saying, you know what, freedom is fun. You're, you will have fun in the world. The trouble is that the crash is going to hit harder than any fun that ever was. The trouble is that we don't understand the freedom in, in uh, confines. Okay, so intellectual promiscuity is fun. Emotional promiscuity is fun. The drama is fun. Humanity likes it. The, the play and the, the give and the take. And it's all this kind of intellectual and emotional dance. And, and people get caught up in it and they have fun with it. And if you don't know in advance that it is fun, you're going to be like, wow, this is what I've been missing all my life? My, my parents have no idea. But remember, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Instability will cause you to fall. A while back, one of the students uh, has what they call a slack line. Anyone know what a uh, slack line is? And you, it's, it's like a, basically a choker, uh, like a, a ratchet strap that you see on 18-wheelers, and you hook it up to one tree, and then you hook it up to another tree, and you try and walk across it. Remember, I am 34, a grown man with kids. I've never done this before, but I'm an idiot. So I hop up on this thing. This is how you have to get on. You have to put your, your thigh up, and you got to kind of balance. And it's got some bounce in it. And you got to put your foot up on the line, and you've got to stand up and balance. It's, it's instable. And a double-minded man is like a slack line strung up between two trees, and I'm falling off of it. Unstable in every single way. So what am, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that we have to break the feedback loop, and we have to figure out what is cool in our hearts and what is cool in our minds. Here's what we need to know about freedom. Unrestricted freedom is anarchy. And true freedom is found in constraint. Unrestricted freedom is anarchy, but true freedom is found in restraint. So what does that look like? It looks like this. We're out on a trail hiking, and it's a long day of hiking. And we're down in, uh, what is it, Red Rock Gorge in Kentucky. Have you ever hiked that, Brother Sleva? And, man, it's beautiful, and it's up and down, and you get to look out, and you can see for miles. And you find a camp spot, and you, you dust out all the leaves, and, and you, you find some stones, and you put them around in a little circle. And what do you do? You build a campfire. 
and the, the temperature drops, and it's negative 18 degrees outside, but if you've got that campfire, you might make it through the night. Negative 18 is a little stream, extreme. Let's make it 28. You could, you could survive that pretty easily, but you would need a fire to make it at all bearable. What does that fire do? It provides warmth. It provides comfort. It provides a, a place to cook your food. After a long day, there's nothing better than getting out some, some, uh, some pecans and, and crack them open and eating them because you don't want to carry too much on your hike. You're not going to have, like, steaks and, and beans in your hike. So uh, your coffee, and you get your coffee out, and you got your water filter, and you, you filter the water, and, and you pour your coffee in, and, and you sip it, and, man, you can feel the warm all the way down in your belly. That fire made that possible. But if the next morning, when you wake up, if you rearrange those stones and that fire is left there untendered, and it's just, you just walk away from it, that fire can burn down acres and acres of forest. And if it gets large enough, it can destroy homes and neighborhoods. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that freedom is like that fire and it has to be constrained. So what does the world tell us is okay? Fire is a good thing, right? What does the world tell us is okay? Robert Bork, this is his, not mine. He says that culture has become a pornographic culture when we start gaining our ideas from pornography about human sexuality. Guys, we live in a pornographic culture. We judge our sexuality. We judge our self-worth. We judge how we look, how we dress on something that is outside so the second thing we need to understand is opportunity. Opportunity. Freedom and opportunity. The two of those things are a deadly duo. Brother Brzezinski said it really great when he said that college campuses are society concentrates. So you can find every major walk of, of life, every thought process. They can all be found on a typical college campus. Professors in many cases are openly anti-Christian. Textbooks are humanistic. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with Brother Kilman. Questions undermine biblical values. They're plenteous. So what, what are we trying to do? We're, we're trying to live in a world and take our sense of self-worth from a world. Unplug, right? Break the feedback loop. We're trying to take our sense of self-worth from a world that is grossly pornographic and superimpose that into our Christianity. These are not my stats. 75% chance that a TV program during family viewing time, I don't know what family viewing time is. Does anyone know? Family viewing time? I'm guessing it's like something 7 to 9, 5 to 8, I don't know, something like that. I, I try and unplug, but it doesn't always happen. There is a 75% chance that there will be sexually related behavior or talk during family 
viewing time. Susan Lynn, in her book, Consuming Kids, written in 2004, so this is a 2004 stat, notes that as many as 75% of high school seniors are sexually active. She goes on to quote a journalist and a father of 10-year-old Jennifer. He says, I'm not a prude. Really, I'm not. But I'm concerned about the way sex and sexuality is used on television these days. It's not about sex for love or even affection. It's a way of getting power, and it works for both male and female. What a terrible message to send to our kids, end quote. Should we wonder why 75% of high school seniors are sexually active if every night they have a 75% chance to hear some sexually related talk or see some sexual behavior on television. We should not be surprised by that. So what are we going to do about it? We have to name it, first of all, and we can't be uncomfortable naming it. In a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, I've got a 10-year-old kid. I'm going to have to deal with this very issue in not too terribly long. So I'm trying to prep. I'm trying to get ready for the fight. Come at me, bro. Good pictures, bad pictures. One of the, one of the uh, portions of the plan for a family action is to name pornography. The author says that if they see pornography, and they've they, got a great little definition of pornography as lustful, enticing. Okay, so there's a difference in uh, an anatomy book of a male and a female and a picture of a male and a female. Okay, you can have a fully clothed, picture of a male and a female and it be pornographic in nature because of the undertones and the undercurrents, which is where we live as a society that's completely different than seeing a science book picture of a male and a female, okay? So he says you have to name that. You have to be bold enough. You have to be man enough. You have to be woman enough that when you see that, he says, in my family, we will, we will whisper, I had a great win as a dad uh, several years ago. I'm in Walmart, and Corbett's sitting there with me, and uh, he was a little tyke at the time. And he had on a, a little Buzz Lightyear beanie, and it, it's one of those ones that it, only the face is cut out, and it goes all the way down the back of the neck. And I'm, I'm pushing down the aisle, and I'm, like, standing there looking at some ramen noodle or something. I don't know. And uh, I turn back, and I look at Corbett, and his Buzz Lightyear beanie is completely on the other side. And all I see is the back of his Buzz Lightyear beanie. And I said, Bud, what are you doing? And he pointed at an end cap display for like Lysol wipes of a girl in a sleeveless dress. We were going through what was appropriate and inappropriate dress. And, and I had named, Bud, if your mom wears it, it's probably appropriate. It's, it's modest. We were trying to teach him that early. And he had turned his Buzz Lightyear beanie around because he saw a girl with a sleeveless dress holding some Lysol wipes up. I was like, when? I was so excited. But that's what we have to be prepared to do on the college campus. That's what we have to be prepared to do wherever we see it. We have to be able to say, you know what? That is unacceptable. The, 
The only thing that is going to perpetuate this cycle of a pornographic culture is for us to continually hold the microphone in front of it and to not stand up and to not say something and to not do something in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own families. The feedback loop is only going to get louder. Now, the quest for love is something innate to humanity. It's completely fine. Fire is good within the boundaries. We're told now in a pornographic culture that the best thing humanity could do is find love wherever you find it. Whatever makes you happy. If if having a girl makes you happy, then good for you. If having a boy makes you happy, then good for you. The trouble is the end. If it's only what makes me happy, then what if having a dog makes me happy? What if having a child makes me happy? What if and, and you were not that far-fetched from it? I am personally acquainted with people, and I live in the Midwest. I'm personally acquainted with people who call themselves some really nice word for a pedophile. Facebook post it, make it official, whatever it was, and the man, girl, guy, whatever they are, said, I am sexually attracted to little girls and boys. That's just who I am. That's just a pornographic culture. And we can't be afraid to say, you're a dingbat. The trouble with opportunity on the college campus, the unrestricted access, the unfettered freedom, is that we are not putting those stones around that fire and containing the fire. God has done his research. He knows where to put each rock so that the fire that is so crucial to human existence does not morph into a wildfire and cause destruction in your life. He set boundaries for intimacy to be enjoyed. And then the pornographic culture comes along screaming in direct conflict with what God has said. What has God said? I'm glad you asked. I'm just going to read some scripture here, okay? Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 24. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Hebrews 13, 4. Baby, I'm glad that you left 709 Highland Woods, Texas, and moved into 408 McDermott. You left a really big house for a really small apartment. But I'm glad that you did that. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Folks, we don't have to worry about judging people. God's going to take care of that. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This is still God speaking here. Now, the works of the flesh 
are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Keeps going on list, 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 list. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. That ye should abstain from fornication. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and 2. Nevertheless, avoid to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And all the ladies said, Amen. And every woman have her own husband. And all the men said, Amen. This is God's plan for human sexuality. These are the rocks that he's placed around the fire that perpetuates humanity. If we allow culture to come in and start rearranging these rocks, it's going to be a California wildfire, and it's going to tear through everything. We have to unplug from the philosophy of this world. On the complete other end of the spectrum of what God has said, we have culture. Movies, series, books, Fifty Shades of Grey, games of, Game of Thrones contain all sorts of unmentionable acts. I was doing research, and it, it's mind-blowing. I just Googled, I didn't Google just those two terms. Let me rephrase that. It wasn't just these two terms that I Googled. I Googled some other terms in with these terms to get some statistics on the number of sexual acts that happen on, take like a Game of Thrones, just an HBO show. I, I could not read them in this place, what actually they're portraying. Now, this is where the feedback loop begins, because freedom feels good. And when given the opportunity, men are going to take what they think feels good for them and run with it. Viewers take this debauched view of intimacy and ingest it into their own value of love. And perhaps some may argue there's, there's nothing wrong with, with watching this because we know it's fantasy. We know it's not real. If you understand that something is not real, then how could it possibly affect your reality? So allow me to answer that question not with my words, but with someone else's. Ted Bundy, the notorious serial killer who was caught in the, the mid-70s and then finally executed in the 80s, was asked this question. What would it take for someone to be motivated to do what you did? Now, is everyone familiar with the story of Ted Bundy? Okay, so he captures these high school or these uh, college-age girls, and he does unmentionable things to them, and then he ends up killing them. What does it take to be motivated? His reply was this. It all began with pornography. Let's not limit the definition of pornography to just naked people, guys. We have to be able to name what is the fight. Where are the battle lines? Someone can be fully clothed and be pornographic in nature. 
we have to be able to get past what is this kind of small little mentality of what pornography is and understand that the sexual rage that drove Ted Bundy, the physical abuse that he ex executed, the killing, it all starts so small. Sure, there are additional factors that contributed to the mental derangement, but the freedom, the opportunity is really what drove this train of gross, disgusting things. It's the thing that came along. The freedom and the opportunity are the things that came along and rearranged those rocks and let that wildfire out into his life, but not just his life, into every girl's life that was affected by that. And that's not just the ones that were captured, but that's the ones that lived in fear because he was around. Remember, James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and he continues, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath, con when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We have to be able to name what it is when we step onto the college campus for the first time or for the 1,001st time. Freedom will be there. Opportunity will be there. So the question is, what are we going to do when we face society concentrate? Whatever occasion you're looking for, you will find. But here's the kicker. Whatever occasion you're not fighting against will find you. Whatever occasion you're looking for, you're going to find. But whatever the occasion you're not fighting against is going to find you. If we're not fighting against the lust of the eye, the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, they are going to find us. So what do we do about it? Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. We need a sensitivity to the spirit, but we also need a plan, some weapons by which we can fight back. Capellian writes, it's a lot easier to be corrupted than to be uncorrupted. Another man said it this way, it's a lot easier to squash a seed than to uproot a tree. So we're right back where we started. Allow me to, to read the last portion of Scripture with what we've talked about in mind tonight, pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to keep himself unspotted from the world. Reynold III is a sad story. He was a duke in 14th century of what is now Belgium. He was a grossly overweight man. Humanity hasn't changed much because Reynold and his little brother Edward got in fights. Only their fights weren't at sandboxes. They were in castles. They were a lot bigger. And after one such fight, Edward finally bested Reynold and put him in a castle and built a room around him. Inside of a castle, built a room around this fat dude. Now, Reynold is not in prison. There are doors, there are windows, they don't lock, there are no bars on them. Reynolds not in prison, but he was too fat to fit out through the doors or to climb out the windows. So what Eddie did was Eddie sent every single day 
the best possible food, steak and potatoes, tamales and enchiladas, cherry, cherry cobbler and bluebell and sweet tea. And he sent as much as Reynold would eat. And when he was accused, when Eddie was accused of being cruel, he said, I'm not keeping him in there. He can leave whenever he wants. But Reynold lived for 10 years a prisoner of his own appetite. Folks, I'm here to tell you, Eddie will feed you whatever you want to eat. This world will give you whatever you want to eat. Civilizations don't give in, or don't give out, they give in. Civilizations don't give out, they give in. We're too powerful to be consumed from the outside in. We have to be driven of our own lust. So what, what can we do about it? Today's culture is so poisonous that on a college campus, we've got to understand going in, there is freedom, there is opportunity, and we have to be able to break that feedback loop. We have to have the boldness enough to name pornography what it is. We have to be able to walk in what is cool, to hit eject on John and say, you know what, I'm going to live my life by something cooler. So what are we going to plug into? Because if we unplug from something, we've got to plug into something. Plug into your local church. Plug into home Bible studies. Plug into CMI. Plug into all these things. And what do we do if we've already awakened this beast in our lives? What if we've already blown it and we've already said, all right, this is the, we're already walking down this road. The rocks are already rearranged in our lives. I'm going to tell you what you can do. There is there's a day in which you can let that fire burn. But until that time, you've got to put the fire out. Wyatt will wake up in the middle of the night and he'll get up and walk into our room. Dad, is it time to get up? No, it's not time to get up. So what do I do? Or what, what, what do I make Leah do? One of us will get out of bed and we'll walk him back to his room and we'll cover him back up and we'll pat his back and we'll say a prayer over him and we will wake him up when it's time to wake up. If you've already started down the road, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to take that fire and you've got to, okay, I understand that there is a place where this is going to be okay, but right now is not the time. And you've got to put that thing, you've got to pat that thing on the back and say, I'm, I, look, God made humanity. He understands. Lord, I'm going to need some help here. Lord, I'm going to need some strength here. And, and there will be a day when you can walk down an aisle and you can say, you know what? I may not have done it perfect, but I tried my absolute dead level best. And that's what I want us to understand. Going into this culture, going into this campus, going on to the job, we have to understand that we've got to put some things to rest. It's going to be okay once you get that, that, those containers built around that fire. 
until that day, do yourself a favor. Until that day, do your future spouse a favor. Put it back to bed. Ask God to help you. Ask him to give you strength. It's, it, you're not doing it alone. Billions of people for thousands of years have faced the exact same thing that you're facing right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would somehow strike our hearts, Jesus, that you would use us for your kingdom, use us for your glory. Help us to understand, God, that you have a perfect plan for us, that you have a perfect way for us, God, that it's in your word, that you know what is cool, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in the faith and in the boldness to understand that what you say is cool is absolutely, actually cool, God. So I pray that you would help us to hit eject on whatever we need to hit eject on. Whatever thought process, whatever mindset we've adopted from this world, God, we want to be unspotted from the world, Jesus, because we understand that sin brings death and that if we're unstable, that we are just crazy. God. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would walk with us, go with us, give us strength, give us people in our lives, leaders, spiritual authority in our lives that we can talk to and we can know that they have our best interest at heart, God. And they can keep us accountable and help us to know that you are awesome and that your way is perfect. We thank you for it and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen.